Welcome back, listeners. I'm Amaya. I'm Rainy. I'm Toriana. And I'm Dominique. And you're listening to Freedom of Shackles, the podcast. Hello. Welcome, Ronnie Minter and Nicole Cook-Reed, our fellow members of the coalition. Um, so Ronnie is actually, we haven't met Ronnie yet. Well, we know her every single week, but she is the leader, founder of Freedom Unshackled. And Nicole, for those of you who forgot, was our very first interview. So we brought her back to the show um, to discuss, uh, to start off and kick us off with sexual assault in prison. So again, this is a heavy topic, so we wanted to provide a content warning for those listening. How are you two doing today? Fantastic. Glad to be here. Yep, thank you for having us and doing well. Um, Ronnie, since we haven't met you yet, or the listeners haven't met you yet, do you want to give a brief introduction on who you are? My name is Ronnie Minter, and I'm formerly incarcerated, and I'm also the founder of Sisters Healing Old Wounds, and I'm the founder of the Freedom Unshackled Coalition. And so, you know, do a lot of work around criminal justice, um, also do a lot of work with Vocal New York and the Poor People's Campaign. Yes. There we go. Excellent. So important to note, Ronnie's pretty well known in, in New York, so. Yes. Mm-hmm. So today, we wanted to, like I said, discuss sexual assault, and you both actually met each other um, in your while time incarcerated. Um, do you want to describe that a little bit, to how you guys know each other? Well, I'll start, and this is Ronnie speaking. Nicole is like, I don't know, a sister. Like, she's just, um, she was absolutely different when we met. Um, she was always fun and full of life and and always um, brilliant, very smart. You could tell even when she's angry, you could tell there's a little something else going on there. But once we um, um, both were home, and we reconnected out here in the world, and it seems like our paths were was just destined to cross again and and being the same. And um, I don't think, if I had to think, that I would have a closer friend, um, someone who I now consider family. And it's funny because we was considered family while we was in there, and so now you cross over, and the bond has just grown and blossomed to now our family members are now family. We're family. That's beautiful. How are you going to top that love story, Nicole? <laughs> you want to add anything else? I absolutely, I absolutely can't. Like, she just hit the, the nail on the head. Like, I absolutely fell in love with Ronnie when I met her 20-something years ago now. And we were in a bad place. Um, we connected inside in one of the most dismal places you can ever be um, in, in prison. But um, like she said, when we connected in the free world, we we had the passion and the love for one another. We had a lot of the same views and the fights and advocacy for criminal justice and criminal justice reform. And like um, my mom loves her. Um, I love her, her, her niece, her, her granddaughter is my niece. Her, her kids are my niece and nephew. We're family for real. So I, there is no other person that I trust more, you know, that is not blood related than Ronnie. Well, we're happy to have two of you on today. So thank you so much. 
And for this heavy topic, it's good to hear something so great coming out of being formerly incarcerated, this friendship. So mm-hmm. that's really nice to hear. Yes. Mm-hmm. And to jump right into it, to talk about it, one of you guys could describe, or both of you, the main differences between Albion and Bedford. I think that would be a good starting point. If you like, you guys have different perspectives on both of them. Well, Bedford Hill is um, the maximum security prison for women located in Westchester County. Um, everybody, once you're sentenced to do prison time, state time, has to go through Bedford Hills. Kind of like the reception area intake. Um, after they categorize you, um, depending on your time and obviously your uh, conviction, um, then most people go transition to Albion, which is a, a medium facility. And that's a little bit further up north. Um, um, but maximum security prison is Bedford Hills. And that's where most people that have a lot of time, that's where they stay. Unless you have some type of facility hold um, for whatever reason um, or classification, um, then you would stay. Even if you don't have like a lot of time, you'll stay in Bedford. But for the most part, you do a little bit of time in Bedford unless you're like a life or have a lot of time, and then you go up to Albion. Yeah, for me, um, <clears throat> Nicole has probably more experience um, time-wise um, being in Bedford than I do. As Nicole stated, it's really reception. So the length of time that I've ever stayed in Bedford, um, the times that I've been incarcerated um, has been not more than two months. And then I will go on to the next facility. Um, my first state bid, I went to Groveland Correctional Facility, which was then open to the women. It's since closed and just houses men. And then the next two times I was in Albion Correctional Facility. Um, and I would say the difference, if I had to speak to it, would be culturally. Um, Bedford Hills is closer to New York City. So you might have a more liberal group of correctional officers that work, liberal-minded, I should say, group of officers that work in Bedford and um, civilians and stuff like that. And actually you would have, you actually have more civilian workers that come into Bedford to bring more liberal-minded programs in to Bedford then Albion, um, Albion, like Nicole said, it's like Western, Northern New York, um, closer to Canada. And that part of New York would be more, very much conservative, right? Um, and so with that being said, those are the COs that work there. They have more of a conservative mind. And so the programming isn't as liberal. They do have programming and you're very lucky if you get a liberal-minded type of civilian worker, I can give an example. Mr. Ken Siegel, who did REACH, which is the HIV-AIDS program that I actually work for up there. So he was like one of the only civilian workers I can think of that came with that liberal kind of mind. Everyone else up there, basically, except for the sprinkle handful of Black officers, um, were really definitely conservative. So, 
conservative versus liberal, um, we all have our ideas of what that means to us personally, but I have a, an idea of what that means outside of prison. Can you elaborate further on what that meant for treatment towards you? Okay, I'll take the bait. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you a perfect example. The perfect example is when you're being transferred from Bethlehem to Alabama, right? Um, on the first leg of the trip, because it's a long, it's a long ride from um, Bedford, New York to Albion, New York. So the first leg of the trip, you're on the bus with officers from Bedford Hills Correctional Facility, right? The COs from there. So that part of the trip, there's a little more chatter. Um, it's a little looser feeling for the women who are going to Albion. Um, you, you might even be laughing and joking around with the COs who are on the bus, right? But then you get to, um, the facility is Mohawk. Mohawk. The facility is Mohawk Correctional Facility. That's the midway point. At that point, another bus that's coming down from Albion, the Bedford officers would get off that bus and get on the other bus. And at that point, the Albion officers would get on the bus. Immediately, the, the atmosphere on the bus changes. Wow. Immediately. Um, actually, one officer, and I'll say her name, Miss Moore, she would get on the bus basically letting you know um, whatever was happening on your first way coming here is not going to happen. You're not going to talk. You're not going to do this. You're not. It, it just changes automatically. Immediately, it's yeah. It's a cultural shift right there on the bus. You don't have to wait to get to Albion to know this is going to be a different experience. Okay. So they definitely set the tone. So they, they make it known that, like, hey, no funny business. We We don't play around here. We're different. And then for people's first time in, like, in the system, you start to realize that each different facility has a completely different culture. So no, no matter where where you land is going to change the course of your experience while incarcerated. So that's good to know. Right. So segueing into Albion and your time there, when was the first time, um, Nicole, you can take start with this one when was the first time you realized that your safety was threatened at albion or maybe you felt when unsafe I, the officer, when the officers got on the bus at moa right away <laughs> yeah literally um because when what well, ronnie i know i remember miss moore but my first um my first bid well my only bid but my first time experiencing the albion correctional officers when they got on that bus at the halfway point and it was Miss Moore, and it was another uh, Caucasian officer that worked in Albion. And I remember distinctly, I'd never been to Albion before, didn't know, you know, and he got on and started calling us a bunch of bitches and, you know, shut up. And he was just extra with it. Mm. And so for me, who had done a significant amount of time in Bedford prior to being transferred to Albion, it was almost like a culture shock. Mm. You know, it was really, really, so I was just like, okay, like Ronnie said, I was just like, they let you know immediately. So again, once, once we got to the facility, it just got worse. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the, the verbiage was different. There was no, you know, yes, ma'am. And no, it was just real aggressive. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And even like some of the inmates that were first timers to Albion, cause you have like the long-termers that their time gets short. So they've been in bed for like 10, 15 years, and then their status changes. So it's a first time for them to go 
transfer now to Albion. So some of them ahead of me was like, when they saw me, they was like, this is some bullshit. This is, you know, because it's like a big culture shock for us who are not used to that. Okay. You know, and not to say that the Beffitt officers were pushovers or whatever. We had some that were different, but for the most part, you know, they treat you like human beings. I didn't never feel that from the officers at, at Albion. Okay. And, and one, one thing that's important to note, and this is my experience, it's always been black officers that go on that trip, that transfer trip from Bedford. So mm-hmm. you had black officers that got off the bus at Mohawk, and then you had white officers that got on the bus at Mohawk. So absolutely, you knew... Um, I'm not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. This is going to be something else. They make sure you know it. Hmm. Right. That's interesting because it's actually, it's it's telling of the different facility, Albion versus Bedford, and it's also, the, it's deeper than that. It's also might be a combination of race between the different guards, so. Yeah. Well. When it comes mm-hmm. down to that, do you feel as if the guards will sit there and have specific targets to different groups when it comes to their personal views on people inside or outside of the facility? I don't know if it was targets or specific groups or people race, but mm-hmm. I know it was targeted on specific on um gender identity. Okay, I have absolutely watched officers in Albion target more masculine women. Um, who identified more as, you know, everybody has different names from A.G. Studge, Dykes, whatever you call them. But um, you, they're definitely targeted. I've watched people get off the bus from Albion, I mean, in Albion, who has done nothing, like literally nothing other than maybe step out of line, like literally out of line, like made a misstep out of line, and then the office, and I'm going to, you know, listen, his name was Mace. He just started picking on his girl for no reason. And next thing you know, she's handcuffed and walked to shoe. And that's solitary housing unit. And we're all sitting there like, what did she even do? Mm-hmm. What, did she, what did she even do? And it escalates. It's almost like this is the one you're going to make an example out of to the rest of these women here. Mm-hmm. And that person is singled out and just... For no reason, I, I I I can't. I can honestly say that I that that girl went to to lock for absolutely no reason. And when you go to solitary housing unit, they handcuff you. So for me, my first time in Albion, being in the facility and not being going on a a a, a, a transfer trip and being handcuffed, like you getting rearrested. Like this thing never ends. So mentally, it's like it never ends for you. You're being rearrested while being in prison. It's it's a mess. So I'll ask you, Nicole. Then, so how, like, what tactics did you come up with when you realized that there was a shift and they start targeting certain people? What did you do to either keep a low profile or protect yourself, or what did you have to do to find out maybe the hard way um, that you have to try and survive in there or else you could be targeted and sent to shoe or in your case protect others because like you said in our first interview you were like the anti-bully 
I went to shoot a lot in Albion. Like, like let's, let's just put it out there. I was always handcuffed and put in shoe mm-hmm. because I just could not adapt. I couldn't adapt to a certain people targeting people for how they looked or how they they identified themselves. I couldn't adapt to them, you know, just talking to people. I couldn't adapt to the racism because absolutely there was racism there. I couldn't adapt to, and, and the thing with, with, with Albion is everybody that works in the prison is related some kind of way, okay? So if you get in trouble on the unit with the officer and, you know, you curse out the officer, then you go to lock, you go pre-hand confined, you go, you meet with the, the father or the uncle that's the lieutenant, and then you go into the hospital, the, uh, the RMU, and that's the mother-in-law. Like, everybody's related. Wow. So, you know, there's no wins there because that's how it, it works in those towns up there. Mm-hmm. And that's the best job, period. Mm-hmm. So for me, I stayed in lock. Mm-hmm. It was no adapting because I didn't know how to adapt to that. Because if you, you know, are raised the way we're raised, you know, that everybody is equal and, you know, you don't judge anybody, I, that's who I am. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you put me in a, in a green cuffs. This is who I am. Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, I do do things to kind of protect myself as I got accustomed, but for the most part, and Ronnie gets up, they would always see me going up the hill. Nicole is um, a tad bit younger than me, and so um, generally, women her age up there, when you put them in that type of volatile situation, especially with rents, you're going to get the response that Nicole is talking about. They're going to um, buck back. They're not going to be able to, um, they can't, it's it's not. You cannot, when you're young and you're not used to something like that, and you're just like, what is this? Like, what, and for Nicole, the cultural shock of being in Bethlehem for so many years and then coming to Albion, um, I I can just imagine how, how different that was for her. But for me, is is that I was always able to say something to an officer, and it probably took them all the way to they was home in bed, laying down, and said, oh, that's what she said? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I was always able to send them off, and they not even realize what I said. So you don't have to be the brightest star in the sky to be a CO. That's clear, all right? And so it's easy to, for me, to maneuver around certain things because I, I realized real quick that these aren't really bright individuals. They're not bright at all. And I recognize real quick that things can go wrong real fast. And I had to always watch them and always pay attention. But the one thing that happened that gave me a uh, a better ride in Albion was while I was in Groveland in the 90s, I was approached by um, IG, which is Investigative Generals, I think. And they came in and they wanted to do, they wanted to bring down a bunch of COs. And they had us in the room and they had them dead to right. And 
they knew that I knew they had pulled letters between me and my then girlfriend who was at another facility and they knew I knew the stuff, but I wouldn't tell. They offered me work release. At that time, Parkside was still open. They offered me like everything but to end my sentence, right? Mm-hmm. They they offered me everything and I wouldn't tell. So when I came to Albion, one of the officers who worked at Groveland was now working at Albion. It was him and his uncle were on that list of individuals. His uncle was a lieutenant and he was the CO. And when I returned, he was at Albion. And um, he pretty much kind of like shielded me from a lot of stuff because he didn't forget that I never snitched him out and I never told on him. So I had a little bit of leeway with that, but not much because there was one officer, Officer Frost. He hated me, I hated him. And so um, him and I just had that situation. And thank God for Jesus that I'm no longer upstate because I hear he's like a sergeant or a lieutenant now. I would, I would be done if, 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 I, if I had to return. God forbid, um, ever to Albion Correctional Facility. Thank you for listening to part one of What Happens at Albion with Ronnie Minter and Nicole Cook-Reed. Tune in in two weeks for part two of the duo explaining the culture at Albion Correctional Facility.